Payments Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies. Hello and welcome to the Payments Podcast. I'm Jacqueline Powell and I'll be your host for this episode. So today, in honor of International Women's Day, we do detour from our normal chat around business payments and we focus on women that are looking to break the glass ceiling in the fintech industry. As is the case in many sectors, I think much more work needs to be done for women to feel empowered um, and still more needs to be done to bring about the societal changes that will attract women uh, of all ages to vocations within it. I'm absolutely thrilled to introduce two guests to discuss the issues today. First, we have Gemma Young. So Gemma is the founder of Women of Fintech, an award-winning fintech community that brings together those in the industry wanting to promote gender diversity and inclusion in the sector. Welcome, Gemma. Hello. Thanks for having me today. Thanks. And I also have uh, Leila White, who is the CEO and founder of Tech Passport. It's a platform that successfully connects regulated financial institutions to truly enterprise-ready fintechs, of which I'm delighted to say bottom line is one. So counting 14 banks amongst its clients, Tech Passport facilitates and fast-tracks the onboarding and the initial engagement process for innovative and successful ventures. Now, before establishing Tech Passport, Leila worked in several different roles at Lloyd's, Deutsche Bank, and most recently, HSBC. Welcome, Leila. Hi, Jacqueline. Thanks for having me here. So before we get to our guests, uh, let me take a minute to qualify and quantify the issue of women in the technology business. Now, according to Eurostat, women hold only 17% of major technology jobs. And statistics quoted by Deloitte revealed that just 30% of the fintech workforce is female. So this is a rather damning statistic, I think, for any industry claiming to modernize the traditional finance sector, if you like. I'd like to say that I think the future looks brighter, but at this point, I'm not sure that it does. So I was actually chatting to an ex-male colleague last week. Uh, he has two daughters that are entering the workforce in the next couple of years. And he said to me, do you really still think that this is a problem? Looking at the stats, I think it is, but my guests will share with me their thoughts today on the issue. So Leila, my first question is for you. Um, we're still seeing challenges in getting women of all ages into the industry. Uh, and then once we get them in, they seem to have a hard time getting promoted. How do you think that these women already in fintech can become more empowered to change the status quo? Um, so Jacqueline, uh, I think I've thought about this quite a lot um, and I can really sort of talk, I guess, more about my own experience and from what I've seen. Um, so previously to setting up my own company, I worked, as you said, across financial institutions. Um, and I, I don't think that in my experience, I had issues with being promoted. That's not to say that I ever got to C-suite in a bank, just to be really clear about that. Um, but I think wherever I wanted to get to my ambitions, I, I kind of carried I carried through with that. Um, I think there are a few things here. Um, I think the main underlying one for me, Jacqueline, is actually women knowing their worth. I think that for me is a really, really key thing. Um, it's, I think that quite often we kind of perceive ourselves as as like we're not seeing other women in senior roles. It's not reflective of of where we can get to. I think that's a key thing. Um, and so then for the for the average woman in tech, they're not seeing um, seniors in. In, from a female perspective in, in those roles, they're not necessarily thinking they can get there, but then also not understanding how they what they can do to put things in place. Um, 
I honestly believe that women probably need to work on their own PR a little bit in terms of like promoting themselves and putting themselves forward. Um, I think even from a very early day, like early stage in my career, um, in my very first bank, I was sat in a meeting room um, that was supposed to be a or it's supposed to be an office and it was a tiny office and it's supposed to be for one person but they had like three or four people in there um and um me and my wisdom decided actually if I was sat in here then I wouldn't be seen by anybody else and I didn't want to just stay there um and so I kind of I guess without realizing was sort of self-promoting myself I just knew that I didn't want to be in there I was away from all the action I wasn't going to meet people people wouldn't get to know me and so I put myself out there and I think actually when I I look back across my career in working in financial institutions and where some women have done well or other women have struggled to get those promotion it is about that self individual pushing themselves forward and being seen you don't have to be aggressive with it either I think I look at some of the women today um, who are in senior roles across the financial institutions that we work with but it's about having that confidence about them recognizing their value recognizing their worth and they do deserve a place there but nothing gets handed to us and I think this is really important to say Um, and in the same way that men promote themselves women should be doing the same thing Um, and um, I'm sure we'll talk about it throughout the course, but there are obviously obstacles along the way in terms of a woman's kind of typical um, life cycle or cycle in terms of work and having children will come into that. Um, but I do think that um, it starts with the individual. It starts with the individual understanding their value, understanding their worth and what they can bring to the table as an employee um, and from an educa- edu- educational perspective. I think, um, Jacqueline, I am seeing some shifts with some organisations. So I met um, two remarkable women um, a couple of weeks ago for dinner uh, who work at a a large asset management firm. And they have no less than three female CTOs, which, you know, a few years ago would have been unheard of. But I think there are some changes that are happening. I think women in senior roles bring a different kind of dynamic to um, a senior leadership team. Quite often, we have a lot more empathy. Um, We do probably over-scrutinize things maybe a bit um, and pull things apart, but I don't think that's always a bad thing as well because we'll look for lots of different options to find out a solution. Um, But I think it's starting to be recognized as um, a valued uh, set of skills that women bring to the table. Um, And certainly in some other large finance institutions as well, they're starting to have questions voters in terms of making sure that they have female leadership at the table. Um, So there is a bit of a shift. And there's certainly a long way to go, I think, when we look at um, maybe smaller kind of um, institutions or even startups. I mean, I have heard about um, companies trying to raise larger funding rounds and then promoting women to the board um, at last minute because they know that they're going to be um, questioned on it or challenged on it and making sure that they're ticking the right kind of boxes. So I think perhaps the further down you go, it does feel like a bit of a checkbox exercise. But if we start to see this shift um, from larger financial institutions and expectations, I think that only helps to empower um, other women across different organisations to see that it is achievable achievable and it is possible. Um, But definitely, I think a lot of it comes from the individual in terms of that self-promotion and that self-value and that self-worth. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about that that self-value. So thank you for sharing that um, with us. The theme of this year's International Women's Day is Embrace Equity. Um, 
And you were just mentioning a little bit there about what companies can do. So I want to swing over a little bit uh, to that, if I may. We're absolutely all in favor. And I think there's this <coughs> misunderstanding of the equality versus the equity piece. So where we would possibly define equality as meaning everyone just receives the same resources and opportunities, whereas equity is trying to recognize different circumstances that people are in and allocate the resources to promote them accordingly or to work with them um, to receive a, a, an equal outcome. So I'd say that many banks and fintechs probably talk a good game about diversity, equity and inclusion, equity and inclusion um, but do they truly do that? And especially on the, the back of gender pay gap requirements, do you think companies are needing to do more? What do they need to do to really walk the walk when it comes to, to equity? What are the changes that they need to make? I think this is a complex question, um, Jacqueline, because again, it's not just about the organisations, but it's about individuals and about a cultural shift, in my opinion. Um, so going back to my point earlier about like the, the sort of typical roadmap or typical lifespan for a woman, most women will go on to have children. Um, and there will be a childbearing age. There's a, a gap, isn't there? There's a window rather of that opportunity that most women will say, right, I'm going to have babies. Um, and then, of course, later in life, you hit the menopause area, which is obviously a hot topic of conversation. Um, again, my experience, um, I'll call upon. So when I was pregnant with my first child, I was contracting and I had it in my head um, that I couldn't take a long period of time off work. I was contracting. Um, if I didn't get back into the rat race fast enough, I'd be forgotten. I'd be left behind and I'd struggle to find a job. I mean, I also liked working, which probably added to it. Um, but I just had it in my head. Like, I've, I'm going to have to try and go quickly back into work. Um but I think some of that was in my own head, to be honest, because even though I was contracting, I went back into an organization that kept a role open for me and actually promoted me. Um, and so maybe in that circumstance, it was, you know, it was a good outcome. Um, but I think part of it is this kind of preconceived idea by us as women that there won't be opportunities so we don't necessarily push ourselves or just think we're going to get left behind. But I do think that there are, in some instances, in institutions or other smaller companies where women will probably be maybe not considered for larger projects because they might be going off to have a baby or they've just gotten married. Perhaps they're going to go and have children. And I can understand it from a sense, from a, um, a company perspective. I mean, we're a small startup losing losing an employee for a year would, would hurt us. Um, but what's really important for us, actually, in our company, from our cultural perspective, is supporting not just the female, but also the, the man. Um, and I think this is where it, the cultural shift needs to take place first and then be reflected into the workplace. Because actually... Looking back, my husband probably wanted to have time off with his daughter or both of his daughters, um, and and he wouldn't have been afforded that. Um, but actually, we talk about it in work. You know, if there's anybody, if if there's a male in our organisation whose partner's going to have a baby or vice versa, what we should be looking at is being able to share that amazing experience of being a parent um, and then also sharing the workload um, because then it means it starts to equal out. Um, I think that it, a lot of it starts at home and then it translates across to the workplace. But I think until we get that cultural shift, women are still going to have or have the perception or have those real experiences of losing out on equity because they're not able to go for those larger jobs or push themselves forward until they've had their children and feel like they, you know, they haven't got that availability. 
But I think what I'd like to see in the future is more companies embracing this mix, enabling men to take paternity leave and have that shared with both the mother and father. But it's not going to be requested. It's not going to be something that every single family wants. I know there are plenty of mothers who would say, you know, no way, that's my time off. <laughs> but then I think it comes back to then we need to accept that we can't we can't have everything. You know, yeah. we, can't, we can't. If we want equality, it's equality. Um, so we can't be demanding that 12 months off to be with our child because as lovely as it is, it, it doesn't pay the bills. But, you know, from an enterprise or an organisation perspective, they still need the work to be done. So I think ultimately if we can shift to an opportunity where it's shared between both, part, um, both parents, I think that makes it better for everybody. But don't know if we'll get there. Sarah, do you have anything to add to what Leila's just said? Yeah, I think I think we all have a, a place to play in equity. I think it's very easy to understand what equality is because you can picture it. Whereas with equity, it's it's bridging that gap to achieve equality. So I'll bring in something from my own experience as well. We we do a number of events at Women of FinTech, all of them promoting diversity and inclusion. And the one that we're doing next month is on the menopause. And I've got to admit, even as a woman, I didn't know a lot about the menopause. And in putting together this event, although I'm not the one running it, it's been run by one of the ambassadors, I I have learned a lot just by putting together this event. And I didn't realize that one in three women feel like quitting their job because they don't feel supported. Now, if I don't know that as a woman, how is a man in a workplace going to know about it? And so it's, I think, these storytelling ideas like coming together today and discussing what we've been through are imperative but it's also imperative to join men into that conversation along the lines of what Leila's saying there you know by telling these stories we can explain to each other what the different needs are and we all come to it from different backgrounds I've got four children and um, someone was saying to me recently that any child even in the same house has um two different parents because you you parent each child differently based around their needs and I was thinking about it and it's true I do te- I do treat each of those four children differently but to get an equal outcome they may not see it <laughs> but I will treat one in a different way to another because I know that's how I can get them to that end the same end result and I think it's the same mm. with the workplace we need to keep having these storytelling modes where we can listen to each other and listening is so important you know, to understand that everyone has got a different viewpoint. And I completely agree with what Leila's saying. And, you know, I've I've managed to get where I am today by pushing myself forward as well. But there are some people and some characters that don't have that asset to to their confidence or to their personality. And I think it's really important to bring them up with you. And so I think with all of these pieces around equality it is important to also bring in equity and and understand that everyone has come from a different background even if they're from you know what looks like a similar background understanding their differences and trying to bridge those gaps where you can to achieve equality even if that's like Layla was saying a man who wants to go to a sports day he should be able to come forward and say he wants to go to the sports day um, and that kind mm. of thing so yeah I think it's I think storytelling is the way forward. I want to stick with you, Gemma, if I may. So inspiringly, Women of uh, Fintech is a truly global organization. Could you share with us um, how you're reaching other regions sort of beyond the UK, if you like? Obviously, it started in the UK. Um, I started Women of Fintech when I was pregnant with my fourth child and I'd been in the industry then about 15 years and I'd seen banking had gone up exponentially. Um, You know, you could 
at that point just start paying at festivals with your sunglasses or your ring and so on but being a working parent was really difficult um you know saying that you wanted that flexibility to attend whether it be a hospital appointment or a doctor's appointment or um you know a school event or so on was difficult and you had to almost at that time pretend that you didn't have children in order to feel equal to your colleagues um but I think a lot of that came internally from a social side you know as a as a society we do breed that um and so it started in essence of telling people's stories to inspire others as where where women had got to and what their background was and how they had got there. Um, that grew to over 2,000 people during my maternity leave on Instagram alone, actually. Um, and it, it was just fantastic to see of how many people wanted to know more about these women's stories. And it grew globally because it was social media so straight away we had a global audience which was fantastic um, but the good part of women of fintech is there's no commercial agenda so the only agenda is diversity and inclusion and so we're very um, we have that ability to connect with other communities out there because there's no competition so for example about a year ago now we connected with Sasha Pilch over at NYC Fintech Women and we did a panel with her which was fantastic and it was really great to then have her audience brought in as well and seeing how we could support them as a community as well and then recently I've started speaking to a number of uh, fintech hubs over in the Middle East I, I worked over there for about five years helping companies to expand into the region and um, recently been speaking to fintech Saudi and then in the UAE looking at DIFC and ADGM and how we can support their agenda of diversity and inclusion as they grow as well and we can really bring those stories that started the whole community over to different regions and again find out and listen to how it's different there how it is when you expand globally and so on it's fantastic to hear how that network is growing so um sounds really amazing um I have a quote from the World Economic Forum on Women in Fintech, and that states that for companies to get the talent they need in the fields where they need it, women who make up half of the population will have to play a substantive role. Um, but right now, they are not. So staying with you, Gemma, what kind of societal changes um, need to happen to get more women on track to join the fintech industry? And what's needed to remove some of those biases that exist toward women in the workplace? Yeah, I think this is such a hard one. And I know Layla's touched on it about home life, but I think you can go even earlier than that. Um, where I used to live, I lived in between two grammar schools. One was for boys and one was for girls, which in itself seems strange that you're splitting splitting them at that stage. And on the outside of the boys one, it said um, specialist in maths and science. And on the girls one, it said specialty in English and music. And straight away, even if children aren't attending those, anyone walking past, there's that subconscious bias of, oh, there's a school for maths and science for boys. Oh, there's a school for English and music for girls. And I know my daughter um, started at a coding club, but quickly dropped out an after school club because she was the only girl. And so I think we need to make those societal changes quite early on in terms of STEM, STEM subjects. And I know we've made, you know, huge leaps and bounds over the years in that respect. I know, you know, back in the day, you would have taught sewing to only girls and, you know, woodwork to boys, but it's still happening just in a different way. And we need to try and make that as equal as possible. And I've seen some fantastic things be done in that respect from fintechs going into schools um, 
and teaching them how to code all the way through to, you know, seeing um, inspirational leader stories as well. I know that it takes those kind of leaders to step out and say this is for girls as well as boys from a young age to have that societal change. But then we need to carry on, as Layla was saying, to in the home place. Why is it that it, you know, the maternity policies are for women? Why don't they include paternity? You know, I know you get two weeks off if you're a father, but why isn't there more than that? Why are, you know, why is it rare that you get the option to share your 12 months off so that you could do six months each? Um, unless we start giving those options, we won't see societal change. So it is society that needs to change, but there are ways that the workplace can support it by offering those options, if that makes sense. So going back to Layla's story earlier um, about her husband not necessarily feeling confident to go to work and ask for time off. If the workplace was inclusive, it shouldn't feel uncomfortable to go and ask whether you're the father or the mother um so it's there is a place i think for everyone to be involved in that movement and taking it forward and making those societal changes um so Gemma, you've worked on a diversity uh, equity and inclusion program uh, early in your career what do you think i know we've touched on a little a little bit already but what do you think that inclusive workplace looks like um from a woman's point of view or even probably more broadly than that yeah. <laughs> um, so the inclusive workplace um, I think I think to get true inclusion you need to constantly look at it rather than say I've got it um, you know I think mm. the minute somebody says I've got an inclusive workplace you're going to fall behind because you have to keep mm. on looking at what's what else is inclusive what else is out there and that's what I mentioned earlier with those storytelling scenarios and most importantly listening because as we bring more and more people into this industry we will find people coming from more and more different backgrounds and especially with it being tech we've become global very quickly as an industry and you're then bringing in people from different backgrounds again so unless you keep listening to what those backgrounds are you can't be truly inclusive and so I think the most inclusive workplaces are those that listen you also need to constantly question yourself if you think you have it right then you won't move on if that makes sense you need to constantly look and question and see whether you can do things differently and that's you know that's something that I've seen um succeeded really well um, over at Tech Passport as well. I'll give Layla a shout out while I'm here. Um, you know, we, like I mentioned earlier, she's taken on a young girl who didn't go to university. When you look at fintech as a whole, you know, that collaboration of finance and technology, the general route into the industry has always been via university, which cuts out a whole social mobility diversity of people that don't go to university for various reasons, whether it be that they can't afford it or so on. Um, and you're cutting out a huge amount of talent there and a huge amount of diversity and different ways of thinking that people can bring to the table. And I've seen this girl flourish into such a strong business development person and understanding the industry so well. And to think that in the traditional scenario of getting into this industry, she wouldn't have got there is so sad. And so for people to give those opportunities and take those chances but also look for raw talent and I see that a lot as well in inclusive workplaces where they will look at talent as being something 
not on paper, so not a tick box. So it being, you know, a work ethic, for example, that you can't read on a CV and saying, okay, I can train that person in everything else. They've got that raw talent and that raw work experience that you cannot teach. But actually with that, I can teach them everything else they need to be successful. And I've I've seen this a lot with people that are wanting to come into the industry from other industries. And they'll say things. So, for example, there was somebody recently um, who was saying they had never um, they had never presented to a boardroom. And yet in the past, they had teaching experience. They had presented to 30 children. So why is that not a transferable skill? And actually looking at skills that you can bring, even if it be, you know, like uh, a mother coming back from work, I can say that I've learned a lot about managing people from having children than I ever learned in the workplace managing people. Because you see those different personalities and how actually working together, they work really well. But actually in silo, they don't work so well. So you see that team building and how, you know, different personalities can really um, help each other to flourish. And if I could just add to that as well, Gemma, like from our our experience, when we're recruiting, I mean, recruiting is not an easy thing, Jacqueline. Um, You know, it's really difficult, I think, trying to find the right people to fit in and it doesn't always work. But certainly our approach um, and something that we're particularly proud of is we don't look at the names on the CV. That's not what we focused on. It's about the person. So we don't, actively we don't actively seek out women we don't actively seek out men we don't actively seek out diversity it's about are they good enough to do the job are they are they going to fit culturally um and to touch upon that person that Gemma mentioned she's going to be highly embarrassed now because we're talking about her but I love it um you know she she applied for she's very very smart intuitive young lady um, that I'm immensely proud to have on the team but applied to work in financial institutions but didn't didn't probably fit the box shall we say um and all I think is their loss our gain she's unbelievably smart unbelievably focused hardworking, committed um genuine um and so I think that my kind of top tip in recruiting is look out for those people as Gemma said the ones that that you can teach that will absorb that have got that great work ethic um and don't recruit based on gender really try and mm. see past the names like if you can just take the names off the cv and just go and interview um i think that that yeah. certainly sort of proved really well i completely for us. agree with that and I, I some advice i gave someone once is if you can change one word on that cv and it becomes wrong uh, sorry on that job post and it becomes wrong then you're advertising wrong and what i mean by that is people say i want you know i want a woman to fill this role because we've got too many men and we need a woman now um, to fit our diversity and inclusion tick boxes actually that's really wrong because if you put I only want a man on there people would be up in arms mm-hmm. so why would you yeah. allow it the other way around that's not a quality you can't you know you can't swing that pendulum yeah. the other way where you're creating you know more issues just in the wrong in a different direction um, and to give an example of that I went for a um, I was contracting for many years and I went for a permanent role um, towards the end of COVID at a large bank, a, um, I went for a diversity and inclusion role. I run a very successful diversity and inclusion community. I got through four rounds of interviews. And at the end, they said, um, we feel we need somebody more diverse. And I said, 
I'm confused what you mean, you know, like I, you know, I, I don't get what's not diverse about me. And um, they said I was too white and too straight, which is quite amusing that they made those assumptions because I'm actually with a woman. And um, but at that point, I thought I don't even want to argue it because if I'm having to argue, it, it's not the place for me to work. It's not inclusive. But they were going down that tick yeah. box. And actually, you think how many diversities are not seen and people are making those assumptions because they're working off that tick box. Inclusion is way more important than diversity. And the reason for that is that if you build an inclusive workplace, diverse people will want to work there. Uh, Leila, back to you. Um, let's go to some of the key points in your career. You've worked at a few banks um, and now you're running your own company. Let's talk about how you'd counsel a potential founder about growing up in this business um, as a woman. What challenges do you think they'll run up against and how can they overcome them? Um, I think, first of all, it's educating yourself. That's um, a really fundamental thing. Um, when I was 20, I moved into tech. Um, so I had been studying law and for one reason or another, um, I dropped out. Actually, it was more kind of like a, an economic issue that we had at home. Um, but when I was deciding to go into tech, I knew that it was going to be a big thing. You know, 20 years ago, it was still important, but you know, the in internet had just arrived, showing my age now. Um, but I knew that that would be a place where I could develop a career. Um, and I'd always had like this mum behind me saying, make sure you have a career, make sure you're, you're always going to be stable and you're always going to have your own income. Um, so first of all, it's about picking a sector that you know, that's going to, um, offer you those opportunities and fintech and, and the financial sector is definitely one of those. Um, but educating yourself and not just educating yourself once, but continually educating, continually learning, getting those resources, asking for opportunities for education in your workplace, getting on courses, um, but taking, um, taking the interest in, on your own and reading, I think is really, really important. Um, certainly throughout my twenties, I was always putting myself on, on courses. Um, and then, other than that, I think it's don't hold yourself back from going for um, bigger jobs. Don't don't think that you won't be able to do it. Like step outside of your comfort zone and push yourself a bit further because you'll be surprised at what you can achieve. Um, and, you know, I think men and women alike will have a mix of managers in terms of how good they are, the value they bring to them. But when you have a great manager, really lean into that. Um, I've had some amazing um, line managers over the, um, over my career um, who've been really, really inspirational and I've been able to talk to them about what my aspirations were, but really lean into it um, and use their knowledge and get them to support you in terms of your um, your, your growth. Um I go back to the point that I made about making sure that I wasn't sat in a room and I wasn't away from things like surround yourself with what's going on. Make sure you know, understand what the company is doing, understand what the overall objectives are, how you as an individual can support and bring value to that organization. So for me, it's always that value point that keeps coming back time and time again. And then going into starting a company, um, don't do it. <laughs> Um, no, in, in all honesty, I think going into starting this three and a half years ago, um, I probably went into it a bit naively in some respects. I had a very, very amazing, if that's right, gr like correct grammatically, um, angel investor. He was a mentor as well. Um, and 
he he tried to coach me as much as possible in terms of what I would come up against or the challenges that I'd face. So I think the big learning from that is, um, and I'm really kind of big on this um, today and will continue to be, except that you don't know everything and you can't do everything and surround yourself with people who are good and people who you can trust and who can give you advice in their specialities um, and learn from it. Um, so yeah, it's knowing your value, promoting yourself, pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone, educating yourself and surrounding yourself with good people who can give you that guidance, that mentorship. And I think mentorship is also a really, really important thing um, that I've seen um, throughout my career as well. Having someone that you can talk to who can help you grow and flourish is also a really, really important thing. Thank you. Um, Gemma, do you have anything to add on the mentorship question? Yeah, so um, I think mentorship has a really strong place in diversity and inclusion in the workplace uh, for several reasons. I think it can be used not only to um, boost that scenario of showcasing that people that are like you can be in these positions, which is inspirational, but it's also about using it in different directions as well. And something that I saw really successful within Women of Fintech is the reverse mentorship, where people higher up in the chain were mentored by people further down in the chain. And that was, it, I saw some fantastic things happen there, where management didn't get the feedback that they needed within their own organization, because people that had just started in their careers weren't brave enough to give real real feedback. <laughs> so they were able to get that feedback externally. Um, but it also boosted ideas because you were coming at it from two completely different angles with two completely different thought patterns. And it gave confidence to those who were early on in their career, but also gave fantastic insight into what the younger generation wanted to those higher up in their career. And in fact, we had a really good scenario in one point where two product, somebody that had just gone into the product side of fintech and someone who was a product manager came together in that reverse mental role and they ended up writing a book together which I was very uh, proud to have uh, been the Scylla Black on that for. Um, but it just shows that actually when you bring together two different mindsets, whatever that be, it does spark new and diverse ideas that maybe wouldn't have been come up with in other scenarios, which is fantastic. Alela, back to you for a sec. Um, many women I chat with share their overwhelming feeling about imposter syndrome. Um, so the definition of that uh, from Simmons Research states that imposter syndrome is a psychological phenomenon that occurs when people doubt their accomplishments or feel like they are frauds. So despite the evidence of their success, they feel like they're not good enough or they don't deserve the success that they've achieved. Do you think that this is an actual problem among women in the fintech industry and how do we overcome it? I think it is. I mean, I certainly suffer with it, um, probably maybe less so more recently. Um, and I think that's because I've got support of some amazing people around me. Um, but I think, I think I probably suffered with it for a long, long time when I look back. But from a female's perspective, um, I think from my own experience, um, will it ever go? Probably not. Um, but I think the best way to sort of overcome it is, again, surrounding yourself with positive influences, positive people. Um, but I, I look for, personally, I look for people who are going to be honest with me and not just raise me up and tell me all the wonderful things I want to hear. Actually, I want to hear about how I can improve. Mm -hmm. um, so I think from a in, a, in a sense, actually, imposter syndrome can be a good thing because it forces me to want to improve on myself all the time, rather than saying, actually, I'm great and everything's fine. So um, I think 
I think there are some benefits to it. Um, and I think women typically seek out um, from, a, you know, our kind of natural mindset. We're always kind of quizzing things and picking things apart and emotional about things. Um, but I think I, it, it certainly from my perspective and, and, and others that I know, it, it forces us to want to improve. Um, it doesn't necessarily make it any easier or a nicer experience when you're just questioning yourself and you're thinking, oh my God, I'm absolutely crap at this and I shouldn't be here and no one's going to believe me and I'm no good at what I'm doing. Um, but it's, yeah, I think surrounding yourself with people who are going to be really honest and truthful with you, um, not just blowing smoke up your rear end, um, but then also people who are going to be honest when you are good and to, and to be able to put your mind at ease and give you that constructive feedback, I think is really important. And that's where, um, going back to the point about having an amazing team around me, including Gemma, I think is really important. So it's about surrounding yourselves with those um, those influences. So the last question for both of you, Gemma, let's start with you. Um, we know collaboration will be the key to any progress in terms of advocating women in fintech. Uh, how can we accomplish these goals without creating that us versus them scenario? Yeah, I think it has to be shown as a business problem. So as soon as you can add numbers to it um, to showcase that there are issues there that are, have a commercial impact, it becomes an everyone problem. And that's the best way. And the other way is just to include men. You know, when Women of Fintech was started, um, we're non-commercial. So we didn't have any, um, you know, big sponsor behind us or anything like that. But what we did need, we needed um, five initial members who were able to help us start. So for things like we needed a website, uh, we needed um, event space, we needed uh, money to get that whole ball rolling in terms of creating a database for GDPR and so on. Um, and interestingly, only one of those was a woman. The rest of them were all men that supported us, uh, which just goes to show there are a lot of men who support gender equality and it's not a them versus us. It's an everyone problem that everyone needs to get involved with. And that goes for all diversities. You know, it's, it's very easy to champion your own diversity or your own, you know, issue. But actually, what stops you from champi championing somebody else's? That's great advice. Thank you. Um, Leila, lastly for you, you connect collaborators for a living. So what's your take on this issue? So it's about collaboration and communication. I think, you know, if you're not communicating it, how's the other person going to understand your perspective? So it's trying to bridge that gap. So from my own experience, um, we have three amazing um, advisors on our board. Um, so one is the fabulous Isabel Pitt. Um, so it's, it's great to have a female that I can talk to when I'm feeling a bit emotional and to get some advice. Um, but I also want to call out the other two, um, Sean Manahan at Morgan Stanley um, and Steve Suarez at HSBC. And I think if you ask them, you know, one of the reasons why that you're, why are you supporting Tech Passport? Um, I'm sure they obviously they'll say they think it's a great product and has a great opportunity. Um, but also they've been quite candid. They want to support a female founder. Um, and so I think the help is out there, support is out there. And as Gemma said, it's about, you know, it's it's not an us and them, it's a an us all together. Um, but Gemma also touched upon something about data, and I think that's really important as well. So once, we, you know, we're starting to see statistics coming out a, a bit more readily available. Um, of course, 
Apart apart from the one I saw recently about female founders paying themselves substantially less than men paying themselves, which I think, hello, if any if any of you listening out there and you're thinking about starting your own company, know your own value. If you've got bills to pay and children to feed, you are just as valuable as your male counterpart and you setting your salary is your job to do. No one else's. Um, but I want to call out um, a company uh, called um, the Gender Index or MNAI and a particular person called John Cushing. Um, so his company um, is a not-for-profit organization from the Gender Index and they fed into the Rose report recently. Um, and I think this is a great step forward. You know, it's been run by a man. We should embrace this. This is, you know, not just, again, an us and them situation. It's about calling out these statistics so we can see it and so we can put plans into place to have actionable, meaningful um, discussions um, and to move things forward with these action plans as well. Um, so, yeah, just my kind of thoughts on it. That's great. Thank you. Um, so I think in just in terms of our discussion, we all agree that we're making significant progress. There's obviously still some way to go. Um, and I think that goes both for the organizations who truly need to embrace equity and drive empowerment, um, but also very much so, as we've seen from the discussion around the women themselves, how they need to build confidence um, and believe in themselves and the path and the path that they wish to forge for themselves. Um, ladies, I think this has been a, an inspirational discussion to have with both of you for International Women's Day. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us and your insight. Um, and we look forward to now embracing uh, equity in the workplace. So thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. So I'll close our episode with a quote from the former First Lady of the United States, Michelle Obama, who says, there is no limit to what we as women can accomplish. That concludes today's episode. Until next time, folks, it's bye for now. The Payments Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.